Hello, everybody. Chris Martinson here. And today we're going to be talking about finance and economics as part of Finance U. Remember, anything that you see in this video and all resources available at our websites or affiliated websites are not intended as or construed as financial advice. This is for educational purposes. Remember, if you have a financial decision, please consult a financial professional. We are not attorneys. We're not CPAs. We are not financial managers. As well, we do our best to be accurate and everything we represent is as accurate as we know it to be. Now, let's turn to our program. Hello, everyone. Chris Martinson here with another episode of Finance University with my good friend, Paul Kiker of Kiker Wealth Management. Paul, thanks so much for being here today. I, I know you're you're rocking a little bit of, of the C word there. Uh, <laughs> we'll just call it a cold for today, though. All right? <laughs> correct. Correct. I'm recovering from the cold. So, uh, yes, it had me down for a couple of days. I hadn't run a fever that high in a while, but I'm on the mend now. A little nasally, and I might cough a little bit, but I'm good. Yeah. Well, you know, we're old enough to remember that this is was used to just be part of life. You would get something yeah. like what you had. They would come around. Um, I, you know, I'm glad that we have a little extra awareness so that the person who wants to be the hero, martyr at work, comes in dripping. You know, and and so now we've given a little buffer to allow those people to stay home, which should have always been part of the deal, right? Yes. Uh, yes. You know, so I'm, but other than that, welcome to having a cold. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The good thing is, is we, we fought it off well and off to the races yeah. now. Energy's returning. Oh, good. Good. Well, uh, if you're like uh, we are here, Evie and I, we don't fight, we don't fight fair anymore. We fight with things like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, vitamin D, et cetera, et cetera. So, so um, uh, the, the colds don't have as much of a foothold as they used to. They they last, we still get them, but but they're less intense and they last for a shorter amount of time. That's it's right. So I actually started uh, both of those mentioned as soon as I realized that it was not the flu. The flu had been running around. So the best part is this did speed up our transition to the new uh, media room in the basement where my uh, where we're set up now. So when you and I would be speaking at the old office that I was in, if somebody go fix their lunch in the, in the kitchen, I'd hear pots and pans banging and it would distract me. I don't think you heard it, but it did distract me. So I'm nice and isolated now. Well, good. I, I did it. I never heard it, but, um, we want you nice and focused. So where do we start? Um, well, you know, I've been, uh, recommending, uh, let me tell you this. My, my, the first ounce of gold I bought was $303 and 50 cents an ounce, um, back in the day. And, uh, that was, uh, around 2001 ish. And, um, and back then, uh, you know, if, if knowing what I know now, I'd like, I should have got more, but, but I did pretty good. Um, you know, overall buying it there, I bought it Paul, because I finally figured out what the fed was up to red Creek from Jekyll Island. I found out where, where, you know, the fed had very rudimentary websites back then, but I could see what the federal open market committee was doing. And I watched and, and back then. I remember there was one January scared the daylights out of me because the Fed had printed $5 billion in a single month. <laughs> <laughs> Only $5 billion? That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> if I could take my future self and come back and say they're going to print $5 trillion because of a cold, right? I would have I would have been like, oh, my God, I would have bought more. I would have gone high leverage, right? It was great. But but I remember um, those days I was tracking it. If it uh, I would track it, it would go off a nickel, five cents, 10 cents, big day, 50 cents. You know, it's like really no interest in the market. And it never really occurred to me that there came a moment when it crossed over the $400 an ounce threshold and never closed below that again. And then mm -hmm. there was a 500 threshold and then 600 and on and on and on. 
And here we are, if it closes at at the level it's at right now, or let me just say over 2000, because I think I got 2060-ish um, on the yeah. continuous contract. Uh, if it closes over 2000, this will be the first close over $2,000 an ounce in the history of gold. Mm-hmm. And that would be a momentous moment. It may close below that in the following month or something like that, but that'll be a big moment. And and I think you got a chart on this, but they they have been fighting this 2000 line for a long time. Like it's been yes. a, it's been a, not, it's been not been a line in the sand. It's been a trench in the sand. <laughs> it's been pretty hard. <laughs> it sure has. And I'll, I'll share that now for the reader's context so they can take a look and see uh, what we're talking about. Um, you know, as you can see here with the gold price, um, you know, going Those back are years 20, on the bottom, 2014, yes, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. So this is a weekly, which represents, uh, you know, a close per week. So going back to 2020, this is one, two, three, the fourth time. Of course, this is the highest closing uh, yesterday that we had on the end of day continuous contracts. This is not updated as far as uh, today goes. Mm-hmm. It'll update at the end of the day. But you know, what's amazing to me is this has been taking place in the midst of of higher interest rates, real yields increasing, and institutional mm-hmm. investors not showing any interest in it whatsoever. So, you know, this is a, a, a momentous and important occasion that we're seeing right now, especially considering at the end of the month, typically gold gets smashed. I mean, it, it, it's like, you know, maybe it's just me because we've had gold positions in here in our client portfolios for quite some time. But, you know, it seems like at the end of every month, gold usually takes a, a, a move down just so so that the average investor doesn't get excited about any of their gold positions. You never see the high for the month, usually at the end of the month. You do it, but it's rare, at least in my observation. Well, um, there's another reason for that, it, it, which is that um, so gold futures that's where most of the action, the gold price is set in the futures market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a paper-based market. And nominally, the comics has a warehouse and there's some gold in there. But but realistically, very little of that actually goes anywhere. Um, it's there backing all this trading that happens. And the trading is like, let's call it 99%. And then the actual 1% is the little movement. Well, at the end of the month, they have to smash that price down because they don't want anybody walking off with their gold. They got to keep <laughs> it in the warehouse. Um, so I watch this a lot, you know, it, it's very typical. And, and once you get used to the behaviors, you also see that there's a physical market in London and there's a paper market in the comics in the U S the, because of that five or six hour time difference, depending on what type of daylight savings we're in, um, you will see that on Fridays at the end of the week in particular, particularly the end of the week of a month, London closes because they're ahead of us by five or six hours, depending. And then the U.S. market, that hour from, from like 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock on that Friday, very bad for gold, typically, <laughs> because you can't get the physical anymore, but the paper people have no competition anymore. And and uh, and, and so they have to you know fight it out over here on, on the paper side. This vault over 2000, I will then note, happened in the context of Thanksgiving. Yes. When again, our our markets, I have to use the quotes, <laughs> are closed. So that meant the rest of the world was left to play. And what did they do? Well, this is something that we've seen in the gold price forever, which is that if you just bought gold when the U.S. markets closed mm-hmm. to when they opened, 
you are up a massive amount of money. If you bought gold when the U.S. markets opened and sold it when they closed, you were down money. So that just says very simply, the rest of the world buys the U.S. sells, right? Yes. And that's been the game for a long time. And I call it a game because it has nothing to do with nothing. But it vaulted over 2000. I think this is meaningful at this point, though, because where's my smash? Dude, it should have it should have been smashed on Monday. Right. It should have been. And it's meaningful in the context of so Fred Hickey's October uh, report or monthly newsletter came out. He was talking about the fact that your commercials were typically short. And, and they're, you know, they tend to be contrarian in at certain inflection points. So if you start seeing institutions, this has been without institutional buying. This has been without your average American buying because it's been below the radar so far. There are those of us who are aware of what's taking place and don't have our heads stuck in the sand who've been accumulating on this, this weakness. But, you know, we don't have massive demand inside the U.S. yet. Uh, but if we continue to close here and, and break out of this range, which according to Fred, the next three to four months is the favorable season for gold, then, you know, this very well could be an, an area where you break out and you never see these lower prices again. I, I think, I think that's where we're getting to. Um, and, uh, so, uh, so let, let let me talk about some context for this because I want to get your your take on this. Um, so I'm just fumbling a bit. So this is uh from a report. So so as you know, I, I do these things called scouting reports. Um, this piece we're recording here now is going out public, but for people watching, I have these things called scouting reports where I, I just do what I do. Uh, I'm a pretty curious guy, and my scouting report for um yesterday is uh is this which is that um i think central banks are involved in this hanky panky and i know that because i go to the chicago mercantile webpage, which that mm -hmm. there's the link and they have something called a central bank incentive program now this is the chicago mercantile exchange right they, you trade options futures um forwards uh things like that so these are highly leveraged products and they're very particular about this they say oh this is only for foreign central banks but central banks, right? And mm -hmm. then you you look at the stuff that they can they can trade on here, right? And they're like, well, you know, I love that the part I highlighted in yellow. They're like, well, you know, this is good because um, central banks provide liquidity, and liquidity is always it's good for all participants. <laughs> like, uh, that's an interesting claim. It's an assertion, right. but if that liquidity is being used to smash the price of something. I would say that the producer who's on the other side of this, who is a market participant, is probably not benefiting from that so much. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But so so look at this. So so amongst the things that central banks uh, participate in, by the way, they gave them this incentive program, Paul, because they're such high volume participants that they get a volume break. And I'm like, dudes, oh, no, no, no. Hey, um, CME. These guys and gals print money out of thin air. You should quadruple the price for them. You should you should rake them over the coals. You should be hosing them, you know? But <laughs> anyway, they gave them a special break. So they trade, obviously, in, in equity futures, Paul, right? You know? Yes. They trade in equity futures. So I'm always asking you, like, why all the markets trade? Oh, one second. All the same across the board. Oh. I got these new earpieces and sometimes they fall out. <laughs> I was going to say, I just, I lost you there for a minute. I thought it was on my end. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, that was me. My earpiece fell out and I had to go on a, a little uh, expedition to find it. Um, 
So, so you know, does 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 central banks all buying and selling paper? Does it explain this? I don't know. Um, what what why would why would they be trading in Bitcoin futures? Why would central banks get a volume discount? You know, that's an Bitcoin. that's an interesting that's an interesting bit of information there, Chris. Isn't that a little odd? I mean, you know, I understand if they consider Bitcoin a, a competitor and you wanted to be able to smash your competitor, that makes sense. Um, oh yeah. But but of course, uh, they trade in full size ag contracts. Like, wait, 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 what? What? Why would foreign central banks want to be buying and selling U.S. wheat and corn? Like, oh well, you know, our country needs wheat and corn. Well, great, you have ag companies. That's that's a legitimate function for somebody who wants to import or export. Uh, you know, to to play in the markets. But why would central banks get preferred volume pricing on ag contracts? That's okay. Well, what about NYMEX? Why why are central banks participating, foreign central banks in particular, why are they participating? See that NG on there in the energy contracts? Oh, yeah. That's natural gas. You don't you don't export natural gas. You can export LNG. That's different. Why mm -hmm. would a foreign central bank have an interest in trading US natural gas contracts? Right. But let's go further. All the way down here, we have foreign central banks are uh according to the uh, CME, uh, such a good participant, they need to be able to trade silver. <laughs> Not one of them has silver on its balance sheet. Not one. No. Right? So I submit to you that, and, and this report that I did goes on and on, and, and I go through a lot of conclusions, but, but one conclusion I come to, Paul, is that they've got their thumb on the price scales because they can, and I don't know if, they're just evil people or they just over time, this is how it developed and sort of became this institutional thing. Like we've all encountered big companies that just really suck at what they used to do, like Disney, you know, yeah. like yeah. you can lose your you can lose the plot line. OK, yes, I submit the central banks have lost the plot line. They now think they have to have their thumb on the scales all over the place because they know better. It's very Marxist sort of a thing, central planning. Mm -hmm. Oh, if the price of gold is this, it sends that signal. Silver should be this. Oil should be that much. Wheat should be. And they do that, but they don't understand that those have real world impacts. Mm -hmm. And those create a little crisis, a little opportunity for people, I, I think. Um, I, I, for one, am, am, I love buying cheap silver this is just not investment advice but it's just me i i love it <laughs> I'm like yay but i think i think we're going to get into uh some deep trouble uh because we're going to find things that you know silver you can substitute around but oil you can't um i got some other charts showing that oil is going to be in a massive structural shortfall as far as the eye can see and mm -hmm. that's in no small measure due to the fact that oil's gone down practically every day since hamas and israel got in their dust up right um why I have my ideas, but because of that, you know, what's not happening. We're not getting those offshore oil wells drilled. We're not getting that investment in upstream no. CapEx. It's not happening. And by the time we wake up and go, dude, where's my oil? It's going to be too late. It's going to be mm -hmm. nothing we can do about it. Just except to really suffer through very high prices. Well, and I read a report this morning that there were more production cuts uh, announced, um, if I understood the headline correctly, I did not have the time to dig into the article, but you know, <clears throat> the, the inefficiencies that they have brought into the system by their controlling a free market is naturally going to discover the most efficient way to allocate capital. 
the thing that concerns me the most is they get in here and they start controlling because they, for whatever reason, they don't want to accept the truth, right? You know, we, we all know, you know, I think one of the problems in the education system now is, is, uh, you know, we all want to say that our local school's great. We don't have discipline problems and they're incentivized to do that because the government, you know, if, if you're, if you're truthful about your actual scores and you're holding these kids to a standard, you lose funding. So the incentives are all set up wrong. And then you also have this perception that no one wants to face the truth of the situation and, and have the courage to walk that path. So that, that leads them to what probably started out is, is, uh, oh, we're going to help, you know, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And now we're at a, a situation where it is just purely evil to manipulate prices to that point. Right. And because it, it takes those of us who want to, who look into the future with truthful eyes, um, who've listened to the warnings that you've put out, the great information that you give with your scouting reports. I love those. And we make sacrifices today because we can see the wisest path forward. And then they, they basically punish those who are, who are trying to pursue the truth. And it takes a, an extreme amount of courage and, and patience and forethought and discipline to stay that course so that you are in the right place when they lose control. And they will at some point. And at some point, they're going to lose control. And my biggest concern about the gold market is the gold that is leaving the U.S. now is not coming back. Mm -hmm. it, it's not coming back. I mean, especially with the weaponization of the U.S. dollar, I was still amazed when I was in, in Mexico on the fishing trip that they were not interested in U.S. dollars. They wanted to be paid in pesos. That and is very were, interesting. Yeah. I mean, all I remember from, from my parents and clients and everybody traveling mm -hmm. is, you know, you can get a big discount if you play with dollars. So we're out there on the boat paying the guys come up with bait. And, and I did the math in my head and it was like $50, 50 U.S. dollars. And uh, uh, they wanted to charge me 60. So I paid them in pesos because I, you know, I mean, I saved the $10. And mm -hmm. uh, they, you know, said they, we don't want dollars. We don't want dollars. We want pesos. That's an interesting development. So that is a very interesting development. <laughs> so you got to pay if, attention to those. Yeah. If, that, if that's taking place on our border and you're an international citizen, where do you want to uh, uh, place your, savings in your reserves now do you want to do it in the u.s dollar would you rather do it in gold and precious metals and is that what we're seeing at the margins we're starting to see these separations from real yields i mean the fact that real yields are higher right now according to government standards and we have to play by that game because institutions pay attention to what the government puts out even you know because they have to to base it on some data and you still have gold prices continuing to rise in this environment What's going to happen when the Federal Reserve slams rates back to zero again, if they do that, then you're mm -hmm. going to see gold prices do incredibly well over the long term. So here's what we know. We know that the central banks participate in U.S. futures and highly leveraged markets because they have a preferred incentive program and it's been running for years, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think the first time I stumbled across it was 2014, somewhere in that zone. So at any rate. They just formalized what I assume was already a, a program. We know that the Federal Reserve has these massive outstanding swap lines with foreign central banks. We know that the Fed's unaudited, so we don't know, you know. They, they have this other category on their balance sheet, which is like a couple hundred billion. We're like, who has an other of 200 billion? Like, 
what is that? And they, the footnote gives you no information, right? Um, is that a Cayman's Island shop that has a CME account? Right? We don't know, right? right. Um, so, so those are the things we do know. But then out in the cheap seats, we we see here that the markets now no longer have any bulkheads in them because they all trade like one monolith, right? There's no differentiation. There's it's kind of weird. So, so we look at that whole system. We say, okay, um, this clearly says that <clears throat> they've been manipulating, controlling the markets for a long time, right? Yeah. And we know why they would do that because Ben Bernanke left his chairmanship at the Federal Reserve to take a position with Citadel, which is mm-hmm. the largest high-frequency trading shop on Wall Street as as their macro economist. Yeah, they, their average hold time is like three seconds on a position, right? You, yeah. you clearly need a macro economist. You know, I'm just being very facetious, obviously. <laughs> um, so, you know, but if I was in the Federal Reserve and I needed a, uh, a, a proxy agent out there helping me or, you know, do what I wanted to do, Citadel would be top of my list because they it's like 25, 30 percent of the total volume trade. It yes. runs through their shop, you know, so it's a big deal. Uh, so we watch all of that. And, and again, you go, well, 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 what do I do? And I think, again, we have to turn I like to turn my attention to the idea that because they're too clever by half, you know, they're going to they make mistakes. I'm I'm not good as a second by second, minute by minute, day by day trader. My emotions get the better of me. But I'm really good at the longer positions, right? A good investing. Right. Like what did Jesse Livermore say? He said, you make almost all of your money by by sitting on your thumbs, right? That's right. That's a great book, by the way. But he said most of most of his mistakes were avoided by doing nothing when he wasn't sure what to do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so I, I think there's some there's some asymmetries in in these markets that are huge. Um mm-hmm. And, and you and I have talked about this before. Again, not investment advice, but I'm always intrigued by the things that that just smell different. I like I like what everybody else hates, you know. Mm-hmm. And right now, ooh, there's a lot of hating on commodities. I mean, just a huge amount of hate. There really know? is a lot of hate on commodities. And, you know, and another interesting opportunity. Now, this is not investment advice, but we do need to have a platform where we can actually talk about things that that are interesting to to consider at least look at, but you've got to talk to a financial advisor who understands mm-hmm. your situation before you go make those decisions. But what's interesting to me is when you look at gold prices starting to increase, silver's increased some too, but the historical ratio is very wide, but your gold miners have been hated. They've been in a pretty tough uh, environment. Those typically will move stronger than the price of gold once you get into that gold bull market, once it takes off. So there's a huge amount of opportunity out there in the precious metal space between mining stocks, the silver, silver stocks, and and gold in its own, plus commodities in general and commodity producing countries. I mean, like not a recommendation again, but, you know, we've talked about South America. Mm-hmm. You know, you look mm-hmm. at some of these countries that are paying, their indexes are paying seven to 10% yields. And they're they're the economies that can both get along, do business with the U.S. and do business with the BRICS. And, um, you know, and if if the BRICS continue this alliance and they challenge the U.S. dollar as a global reserve currency at some point in the future, that's a good place to consider, especially from a fundamental standpoint. Again, not a recommendation, just something that you can do some research and have a conversation with a professional about. Yeah. Yeah, those are interesting flows that are happening geopolitically right now. So, you know, I'm I'm heartened 
by watching people actually have an influence on politics again. And it's small, but, you know, yes. Holland, we, we, we watched, uh, you know, the people who are, who are sick of the, of the Mark Ruta, you know, trash the farmers and just, you know, poison the people's uh, act. Got tired of that. We watched this happen uh, in Argentina. Very exciting. Right. I mean, yes, it's a little, little wild, but Malay, you know, he, like, <laughs> I, I think I already, Paul, I already had a man crush, but then he came out and said he's going to end the central bank. And I was like, he's still my heart. <laughs> yes. Yes. And of course he's, he's ridiculously educated in economics and macroeconomics as well. And he doesn't yes. come across that way. So he knows what he's talking about. And this is absolutely yeah. fascinating because we're getting a real world experiment to be able to see what uh, real capitalism uh, has the capability to do. Of course, there's going to be some pain before they uh, get better. That's just just a part of it. It's not going to get get better immediately overnight. Maybe it does. But uh, I'm so excited about what's taking place there. Yeah, well, Argentina has the bones to, to do really great things, not least of which is, of course, they've had this foreign trade imbalance for a long time, and, and they've been consuming beyond their means and printing and make up the difference and creates a lot of misery, obviously. So socialism, terrible idea. But um, their Vaca Muerta shale oil play is very big. I think it's almost as big as the Permian. It's going to be delivering more oil than they need for a long time. So if they if they really prosecute that, they can actually have a positive trade flow. I actually think they're poised to turn everything around. And of course, I, I've spent a month in Buenos Aires and and the the Europeans who built that city is beautiful. I mean, it's just a wow. gorgeous, gorgeous city. Um, needs a little needs a little freshening up, but but I, I think that you know that's that's in the works here. So. Um, but the point here is that capital goes where, or people, human capital mm -hmm. too, you go where you're treated best, you know? Right. And if you have people like uh, Bukele in El Salvador, he's clearly talking about freedom and he mm -hmm. wants freedom and he believes in, in that if when people are free, good things happen. And, and, and the opposite of that is when you don't, when you distrust the market so much that you feel like you have to have put your thumb on every price because they must mm -hmm. have it wrong. We know better, Right. That means you don't trust the markets. Like if the markets decided to set the price of oil at 200, you, you wouldn't trust that result. That's a terrible result. It's not the right. right one, you know, but actually it is the right one because that's going to actually deliver over the longest haul, the most prosperity for the most humans, because Absolutely. that's what history teaches us. Well, and it's, 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 they don't believe what they're saying. If they have to get out there and control the markets and, and completely off the subject, but I have to say this. I'm shocked that a foreign central bank would be uh, using futures in the ag agricultural markets in the United States as an example. But you know, that that just <clears throat> that just amazes me. But if they if they don't even believe what they're saying and, and they're not courageous enough to be truthful, of course, they're not going to trust the market because it's going to show that they're incompetent or untrustworthy. And I think it's mm -hmm. a combination of both, quite frankly, because their arrogance has gotten them to the point that, oh, we're educated. We're better than you. We went to better institutions than you. And they're so detached from reality that they don't understand the plight of the average American. They don't understand what the average person is facing on the street. Because when you've got, you're the Federal Reserve Chairman, you've got a $100 million net worth, you're running around with people that have that type of net worth. You're, it's a horrible analogy, but it's kind of like the Hunger Games. You know, you've got the major city with all the people that have all this wealth and you've got everybody else. They they don't have any idea what's actually taking place in the underlying economy because they're in an echo chamber and a feedback loop of mm -hmm. 
what is it Nassim Taleb called them? Uh, intellectual yet idiots or over IYIs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Intellectual yet idiots. <laughs> yeah. And they don't have the courage to face the truth. So they have to control everything. Well, this is a, a great segue into um, anybody who's watching this before December 9th. We've got this great webinar coming up at Peak Prosperity uh, where, where I've managed to assemble what I consider to be a just an all-star team, which is going to be myself, Brett Weinstein, uh, Peter St. Ange, and Ed Dowd, who I just interviewed yesterday. You're going to love that one, um, Paul. Oh, uh, I'm excited. Because he talks about both this excess mortality, but also he's a, he's a really sophisticated uh, investor guy. So so we're able to connect those two big worlds. A lot of fun. Um, and, and so the reason I've decided to assemble these people's because look paul the the data's out there we have all the we have all the dots the problem is it's so massive and you're like are they really that hubristic are they that detached from reality could this really be happening but it is so the first thing we want to talk about episode one is just we're going to steal man we're going to step into the position of them not not to shame not to say how oh, evil or any of that stuff it's just to, to under because they go to bed at night and they think of themselves as good people so how do they think and this right. is something I learned from Robert Kiyosaki. He said, you have to study your enemy, right? So like, okay. I wouldn't have considered reading the the Communist Manifesto. And he insisted, he's like, you have to. If you don't read it, you don't know what you're up against. Like, they really think this. You know, you need to understand that. Like, okay, great, yeah. great concept. So we want to step into this and, and talk about this. And I'm going to channel the WEF and, uh, and we're going to have uh, various people stepping in and channeling the medical tyranny. Like, what were they, what was that about? You know, what are they really yeah. thinking? Or what is the Federal Reserve? Like, how are they, what's their frame? Like, how are they thinking about this? Right. Because I think once we understand how they think, and then we can connect that to the big dot, which is episode two, which is, well, how are they, how are they, how are they accomplishing their goals? And like mm -hmm. you said, which was a great segue, they don't do it honestly. <laughs> they don't come forward and say, here's what we're doing and why. Nah, you get gaslit, you get, you know, lies of omission you got a captured media that can't tell the truth to save its life wouldn't know it if it bit it and ass etc etc so then you have to know okay here are the things they're doing okay mm -hmm. so we can get to part three which is okay well what do you do about that because i don't see any way past this and i i'm still waiting for that one person i'm going to talk to who says chris i get it it looks that way but here's how we get through this almost everybody i talk to paul says it's going to be a little rough for a while and we don't, right. we can debate how, how bad that rough patch is, but we all agree now it's a rough patch. So right. how are you, how's your wealth positioned? You know, how's it managed? What are you doing in your homestead? Uh, how well do you know your neighbors? Like how good is your spiritual and emotional fortitude? These are the things that, that matter now. And they, it's all a puzzle, but you got to have, make sure you have a piece for every part of that puzzle. Mm -hmm. um, I, that's how I'm seeing things now. And be adaptable as information comes out, you know, you adapt your plan and you tweak mm. that plan and you continually do so. This is something that we're going to have to be diligent. This is not going to be a period of time where we're walking through the open plains and you can see the horizon. This is a period of time where you're walking through the forest and grizzly country and you have to be looking around every tree, paying attention and and not not so terrified that you sit down and do nothing, but you're cognizant, you're aware, and you're constantly men, uh, mentally calculating an escape plan, mm -hmm. or or a self defense option uh, to be able to survive it. But I'm so looking forward to your to your event, Chris. This is going to be I cannot wait to 
see you still, man. You're going to be good. Oh, I will. (laughs) (laughs) And I bet you guys will have the opportunity to be relatively ruthless with each other in the still man process. So this will be good. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping we come out black and blue. I mean, no, but it's really, I really believe that you have to actually wrestle with these ideas and you have to do it as honestly as you can. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's insufficient just to say, oh, it's great evil and, and they're just bad people. Like, well, what do you do with that, right? Right. Does evil burn itself out? What happens, right? Um, and and I honestly believe, you know, one of the conclusions I've come to is one of the most important things people can do is you withdraw your consent from them treating you that way, right? Mm-hmm. Even mentally, you know, you draw that that line and you say, no, no, this is unacceptable, you know? Um, right. So this is funny. I wish I had the clip. I could bring it up. But apparently the education secretary for the U.S., Unironically, this past week said um, he was trying to talk about how the government was going to really do some really good stuff. He said, hey, even Reagan said, I'm here from the government and I'm here to help. Right. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't, he didn't he said? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my if, God. For people who don't know, Reagan came out and said, um, I'm paraphrasing badly, but it was something along the lines of. The four, you know, the most dangerous words you could ever hear from the government are, I'm here to help, you know? Yes, I'm I'm with the government and I'm here to help. That's right. Yes, the that was it. Words, yes. So, and, and that's what gets me. Do these people actually believe this or are they just so dishonest that they're, that they'll say, yes, he said that. You can say that, but you're taking it completely out of context. Maybe they're just so used to taking things out of context. That's what they do. But that's, that's that's not funny but what else can you do besides laughing uh, well you withdraw your consent from it so that's just one of these right. moments where again so part of my mental uh armoring is when i hear stuff like that i reject it right on the spot it's like mm-hmm. absolutely not you're not getting away with that malarkey you know with me right. right but i find myself now paul almost everything in the mainstream media i'm just like that's wrong that's wrong that's out of context that's mm-hmm. actually 180 degrees wrong um, right. It's very rare that I find anything of use now besides nature shows, you know? <laughs> right. I, I do enjoy the nature shows. Those are nice. <laughs> well, I will say the one thing that I that I would encourage everyone, every listener out there to do is to to take your concerns and speak directly to your congressmen, your senators, your senators, your representatives. Because I, I don't think I've had a lot of conversation with people and no one's taken the time to actually do that. Because we're talking to each other about this and we're we're sharing, but as soon as you have some idea and you have a legitimate complaint, reach out to them. I've done it on probably 25, 30 different occasions over the past 12 months, and I've had a response to everything except for two. And I still think they're still working on it because I'm going to follow back mm-hmm. up with them. So if anything, it may not get to their desk, but their staff is having to respond and the more we're reaching out there and the more time we take to communicate and express our frustrations with them, the more we have the opportunity to at least prick their conscience or or maybe one of us will come across and communicate in such a way that they actually question the path that they're walking down because we need people to change at the margin and our voices matter. We've got to reach out to those, um, to, to our leaders. It, that's that it'll be worth our time and effort. Yeah. And, and great segue into this then. Um, I think we need to do this around the great taking. I'm talking with a lot of people who who find that unacceptable. We're going to, we're actually putting some groups together and we're going to be talking about 
well, hey, what do you do personally? Okay, but once you get past that, of a to a person, we're like, well, we got to change those laws, right? We should change those. It's it's completely unacceptable that it's that way, right? That was just stupid. Yes. Whoever wrote those laws, while we weren't paying attention, shame on all of us, right? Because it was just dumb. But let's change that if we can. Uh, and so I would be really, really interested in pushing that forward. So for those who don't know, The Great Taking, it's a book by David Rogers Webb, and it just points out the idea that laws were passed mostly in in the aftermath of, of the great financial crisis. But truth be told, those laws were already sort of in the books waiting for the right moment to mm -hmm. be enacted. So this is a thing that's been sort of developing for a long time, which was to separate people from property ownership, mm -hmm. right? And in this case, financial property ownership. And they did it in a couple stage process. They disintermediated you. They separated you a little bit. They started wrapping it, called it a securities entitlement, not an ownership, blah, blah, blah. They did all this stuff. So a lot of, lot of uh, I know you and I are still talking about this and, and it's complicated how we move through it, but there are things people can do. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell us what you uh, uh, found about SIPC, which would be the nominal insurance that people have on on their portfolios uh there's there's some data there yes so just kind of give you to to discuss about sipc so that's the security investor protection corporation it was started in the 1970s to basically protect investors against the failure of a broker dealer now if you decide that that uh you know whatever stock which stock xyz is going to go to five thousand dollars a share from 50 and it goes to one it doesn't protect you against investment loss or poor investment recommendations decisions what it does protect you against is the failure of that broker dealer now there are a couple of things that are covered by that you know anything classified as a security which are notes stocks treasuries bond debentures options among other items without going into all those details what it mm -hmm. does not protect protect for for individuals that are specifically interested in commodities it doesn't protect commodity or related contract or future contracts those are not covered by sipc there are special types of accounts that you can set up if you're trading in that way but your traditional investment account is not it doesn't protect currency and it doesn't protect uh, warrants or rights to purchase or sell any currency or commodity related contract or futures contract now what it covers is $500,000 maximum per registered account with a maximum of 250,000 of that in cash. So let's explain how that cash works out a little bit. Excuse me. Sure, sure. Pop I made away, it this buddy. far. I made it this yeah, far, so I was excited about that, but I couldn't hold yeah. on any longer. <laughs> so the 500,000, now if you have 250,000, okay, let's say you've got 500,000 in the Fidelity government treasury money market account. Okay. So that is a security in its own. The money market accounts are considered a security. That cash is not limited to 250,000. Mm -hmm. But let's say, for example, you know, something's coming. Um, you sell $500,000 worth of Home Depot stock the day before, for example, and the, and the broker dealer fails in the midst of those funds settling. That's considered cash. So if it's not parked in a money market security and it's transitioning between a sell, that would be limited up to 250,000. So the simple explanation, but hopefully everybody can understand. Now, within working within that system, uh, one of the things that I've been coming up with to talk to individuals about is like, okay, if this great taking is correct, 
at a minimum, you know, how can we use the SIPC, for example? I know it's not perfect. I know it's a, a portion of reserves. But Chris, I keep coming back to the point of, yes, they have the capability to do this. And maybe, maybe that's exactly what they want to accomplish. Or maybe that's an alternative path. If we can't inflate us out of this problem so that we can remain in control and everything comes apart, we'll get everybody this way. But at the same time, and argue with this with me in any way whatsoever, if if we absolutely collapse like that and they take everything, you've still got a lot of pent up frustration and energy in the American populace. I just don't see how every politician isn't drug out of their offices and into the streets and old fashioned justice taking place on the streets if they take about this way. And I don't think they can fight everybody off all at once. So anyway, maybe that's the option that they have. But the reality is, is you do have to be concerned about some of the major broker dealers. Now, Charles Schwab, for example, was in the headlines right after Silicon Valley Bank failed because of their treasury positions upside down on their banking side. So what can an investor do? Now, each that SIPC insurance is, is up to 500000 per registered account. So uh, in separate capacities is the best way to put it. So one individual, for example, could have an, an individual account uh, or separate capacities. Uh, examples would be an individual account, a joint account, a corporate account, a trust account created under state law and not solely for the purpose of increased SIPC coverage. On their website, they do state that you can't open a trust specifically for SIPC coverage. So it has to have a specific reason, just so you know. So somebody thought about that a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, individual retirement accounts, so your self-directed IRA, a Roth IRA, and a state account held by an executor and an account and an account held by a guardian for a ward or a minor. Each of those are considered examples of separate capacities. So Let's say we're working with someone and of course, in a perfect world and an example, we could balance out their assets this way. The first thing you that I would recommend that, some, well, okay, I can't give a recommendation on this because you have to meet with someone individually, but here's ideas to consider, okay? And if you, if you want to talk further about it, go to Chris's website, send an appointment with us. We'll talk you through this and look at your specific circumstance. But there are a couple of things that I think would be important to consider if you're in a position to where you can do this. Pay off all your debts, at least your primary residence. Three months of food storage at home that you can rotate each time you go to the grocery store. We should do that anyway, just from supply chain disruptions. Mm -hmm. Once you get in the habit, it's so easy to do because you have a fresh stock on yourselves and you've got three months worth of food that's there. Cash on hand to cover a minimum of three months worth of normal expenses, because if we did have something shut down in the banking system, that's going to be opportunity money, and it's going to make sure that you're in a position. Physical possession of some precious metals, and it's also, uh, uh, if you have the resources, I think it's prudent to hold some foreign currency as well. It's, you got to choose wisely the foreign currency that you hold. But then we get into your investment accounts. So one, uh, uh, a couple could have SIPC cover up to $3.5 million by doing it this way. You have a joint account with a maximum of 500,000 in it because that's considered a separate capacity. 
um, bear with me, I lost you on the screen. Then you have a single for him. You have a single account for her. You have an LLC. Okay. A lot of estate planning situations, people utilize an LLC. You have a trust that's not specifically set up for the SIPC insurance. Mm -hmm. You have an IRA and you have a Roth IRA. So those are separate capacity accounts that can get you up to 3.5 million. Now, it doesn't say that LLCs are limited uh, uh, for those purposes. And I'm not saying that you would set up multiple LLCs for that. But let's say you have a rental property where you've got an LLC for that rental property. You can have up to half a million dollars of coverage for SIPC. Let's say your house is put into an LLC or your house is put into a trust. You can have specific, or if you've got a hobby farm, you can have an LLC for the hobby farm and you can have funds that are inside of there. Now, will this be perfect? <laughs> if, if, if the great taking was set up to where they completely wipe the system clean, then no, it's not going to be perfect, but at least it can give you some, some peace of mind within the system that we're in, that you're doing everything prudently possible to protect yourself. Now, one thing I do want to point out, Chris, is the SIPC insurance on the website does state that it's per um, registration. And let me get that word right, because it just uh, escaped me per separate capacity. Mm -hmm. So the one thing that we would have to worry about, I do not think that it's going to help you based on the wording because they said it's per capacity. Now, they don't explain this, but like you've pointed out, what people don't say is just as important as what they do say. Yes, It yeah. does not say that it's per broker dealer. I could not find that on the SIPC website. So I don't it doesn't say that you're going to be protected by having this set up at Fidelity and then this set up at Charles Schwab, for example. What you have to assume is that if Fidelity and Charles Schwab were to go down along with Lensco Private Ledger and all these others, that you're going to be limited to the capacity of that account on hand. Now, if, if you happen to be at Charles Schwab and they go down and Fidelity doesn't, then you would be covered by the SIPC at Charles Schwab. But if they both went down, you have to assume because it's not stated that I'm only covered up to those limits of SIPC insurance. So those are simple things that we can do. I mean, how many people did, uh, I mean, I, I can tell you now in my career, we break up accounts for particular stock strategies from time to time, mm -hmm. but most people don't want to have multiple statements. So they'll come in and say, all right, instead of a joint, with a single for him and a single for her, they just have it all in a joint account <clears throat> or they have it uh, uh, in all in an LLC or a trust. So it's a little bit of extra work, but it, but it may be worth it under the circumstances to break your accounts down in that manner, just to give you a little bit of extra protection. Well, that'll make sense for some people that'll resonate for them. Uh, others, maybe not, but I, I think it's great that you're looking into it and that there's there, there are some things we can do, again, within the system, such as it is. But but here's, here's my point of view. It could be wrong. It's just a point of view that if it came to the point where there was, um, you know, some great financial cataclysm and Schwab and Fidelity both go down, I have every confidence that the government would print whatever they needed to print to keep that all stitched together, I think. Right. I, I think, but, you know, I think they would, too. And I also go back to. 
oh, goodness, I butchered this every time, whether it's Jefferson, I'm going to memorize this at some point. First by <laughs> inflation, then by deflation, they'll rob you of all your wealth. Mm-hmm. So deflationary event would would is what would potentially cause those collapses. And even if we get hyperinflation, that deflationary event will uh, will come about at some point following the hyperinflationary event. But I keep going back to the fact that we're still an armed nation. And at their core, I believe that that the majority of these leaders are are cowards from the standpoint of they don't have the courage to face the truth. So they are not allowing the truth to come out because they can't stand face to face and have this debate because all of a sudden they're wrong and they just don't have the courage to be who they are if they don't have this plastic face. If they, you know, one, when Silicon Valley Bank went down, there were a massive number of of unsecured deposits there. If this was the path that they were headed down, they had their chance to deliver the first blow of taking those monies out of the system. Uh, Now, maybe it's a sleight of hand, maybe it's a deception, but they had the chance to start it then. They had the chance to let everything collapse in the 2008 environment, and they didn't. They chose to print. So my assumption is, like you are, that they're going to continue to print because we're still in our nation. And, and, you know, I can tell you this much. In, in the South, as well as the West and the North, there's still a lot of courageous people. And when the average American has lost everything, and if they do it this openly, that they realize that they've planned for a period of time to put them in a position where they can take everything from them, well, they still haven't taken all those guns or at home yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say that that there would be masses pulling these people into the streets and they would not die painlessly would be my assumption. So I'm not, so, you know, I just don't see them taking that path and I may be wrong. Yeah. Well, it, it's not only are we an armed nation, but, but we we're an educated nation now. So, you know, they did this great taking once back in the thirties. Um, and it, it was ugly. I mean, they 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 closed down people's bank accounts because that's the liability of the bank. The bank failed. But the asset of the bank, which was your mortgage, your liability is the bank's asset. They kept those on the books. So all these people lost their houses because they lost their money. But and so imagine you set up a system where it's like, oh, we're going to run this banking system. Oh, ran it badly. Tough luck. You know, it's like that scene in South Park and it's gone. I'm sorry, right. sir. That seat's only for people who are depositors here, you know. Uh, it, right. it, it's, uh, it, 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 but back then I, people didn't have this thing called the internet where, where now, you know, people are going to find out about it and we're going to have the context and we're going to go, well, that's unfair. It's just deeply unfair. It's just, it's just, it's just theft. It's just theft with a pen. Right. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how, how people do, you know, with all of that. But, uh, I, you know, obviously there's no risk though, because, um, it's never been cheaper to buy a put on the S and P. That is true. That really is true. And for the person that's patient Woo. enough, I, I think I've been looking, considering leaps on the uh, on those puts right now because you can buy some time, and more than likely, we've got a lot of volatility coming at some point in the future. This market, this yeah. this market is like Pavlov's dog. Just nothing matters because it hasn't mattered. Right, um, right, right, right. Well, and, and we're getting to that point where, where, you know, things will matter again. Um, and, and you know what, I'm looking forward to it, uh, because, you know, you said something before that, that, uh, really resonated with me and it, it drove me nuts during, in the context of the original 
bank bailouts around the great financial crisis, which was prudence was punished and the reckless were rewarded. And guess what? You get more reckless, less prudence going forward. And that's just not the world I want to live in. I would rather that hard work, perseverance, honesty, integrity, those were the winning attributes. Mm -hmm. But the system decided to reward all the wrong people for all the wrong reasons, you know, mm -hmm. and here we are. So so that's part of my bearishness It's just like, well, you know, it's hard to have a durable, prosperous system when it's being <laughs> regulated by raccoons. <laughs> you know well and i think too you know a lot of us are, are extremely bearish but i think people don't think through that from the standpoint enough that we're actually optimists at heart to be talking about this because mm -hmm. yes there's a lot of pain Thank and you. trouble coming but when you're talking about this chris you know the optimism of preparing people and getting them uh warned and letting them educate themselves and discover discover a path and at least have a fighting chance to go forward so that then their communities and their families can be better on the other side of this because the majority of americans are are whistling walking down the, the highway you know singing a beautiful song and they have no idea they're about to be hit in the mouth with a baseball bat so right. you know at least those of us that are prepared and ready yeah we might get grazed but at least we're aware enough to where we can duck and and move to where the if we do get hit the impact isn't as severe and yeah so well uh to me the um I mean, the point of all this is uh, I, I do think there are opportunities and, and I enjoy playing the game. But fundamentally, my goal in life is to still be in a position to be standing after the baseball bat so that I can uh, be in a position to help. Because there's a rebuilding coming. We just got a little we, we, we got people aren't quite ready to recognize in the leadership positions. I, I don't think they know just how bad they've, they've screwed the pooch at this point. So I, it's just going to take time. And yeah. we have to be prepared and patient and all of that other stuff. So thank you so much for doing what you do for, for your clients and uh, for everybody watching. This is Paul Kiker of Kiker Wealth Management. Uh, Paul, again, we just get nothing but rave reviews about uh, the process you take people through and how you help them uh, plan, given all of this stuff. And, and, and not least of which is the relief people feel being able to talk to somebody with as much financial experience as you have, where you can talk about stuff like this and it's not dismissed or poo-pooed or gaslit or minimized. Uh, there's a lot of that goes on in the industry, um, yes, unfortunately. So, unfortunately. so thanks for doing what you do. It's my honor. So it's my honor. It's been, you know, it's, it's rare for those of us that have been through the 2000 collapse, the 2008 collapse to still be in the industry today. So I've experienced those. I've helped walk people through those. <clears throat> um, you know, and we still do the plan because the plan's important. We, you know, if they're if they're able to kick this can down the road another 10 years, there are going to be people that are going to uh, face retirement before they get there. So we start with the plan, mm -hmm. find out where everybody is, and then we do all the stress testing, scenario planning, and have our decision points in place so that we can, you know, get everybody set up and be as prudent as they possibly can be um, yep. to put themselves and their family in a better position. Great. Great. Well, thank you for that. All right. Well, everybody, that's our, our show for today. Thank you for watching this episode of Finance University. And you can find out all the information you need about Paul Kiker's amazing firm at peakfinancialinvesting.com, link down below. Paul, thanks. And uh, feel better. And thank you so much for being here, even though you have this, the, the big C. You got a cold. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, thank you, Chris. It's my pleasure. I always enjoy the interaction. Likewise, likewise. All right, until next time, Paul. Thank you. Have a great day. Hello, Chris Martinson. I'm the CEO of Peak Prosperity and also Peak Financial Investing. And after watching that, you're probably wondering, well, what do I do with my money? Look, you both deserve and need somebody who can talk to you about what's really going on in this world, understand the situation as it is, not be steering you towards certain things that don't make sense for you or just keep you in a game that's already ended. Look, if you want to talk to somebody about the petrodollar declining or what is happening with gold or which sectors are actually the best ones to be in, given what the Federal Reserve is up to or the federal government, you deserve to talk to somebody who can answer those and has a few gray hairs and has been there through some of the economic cycles because, hey, we're in another economic cycle, so it's good to have that experience. Fortunately, at Peak Financial Investing, what we do is we go out and we scour and we look for the very best firms out there who satisfy one thing above all else. They've got great experience coupled to great customer service. So if you want to come by peakfinancialinvesting.com, there's a very simple form you can fill out. Just a few fields. You hit send. What happens is an email gets triggered out. It goes to uh, an endorsed firm of ours. You will get an email back. You can then set up a phone call for a 30 to 45 minute free, no obligation, no pressure call to find out if this firm is a good fit for you and to find out if you're a good fit for the firm. It has to go both ways. And if all that matches up, this will be one of the best things that could happen to you this year. So please come by peakfinancialinvesting.com. Very simple process. We would love to help you if we can. Thanks very much.